This Ends at Prom is a critical analysis show and is being produced in solidarity with the WGA and SAG-AFTRA strikes. The podcast you're about to hear was produced during the strikes, and without the labor of the writers and actors currently on strike, the movie being reviewed here wouldn't exist. For more information, feel free to visit the Freelance Solidarity Project at freelancesolidarity.org. Greetings and salutations, and welcome to This Ends at Prom. A coming-of-age podcast highlighting cinema about or marketed towards teen girls. I'm one of your hosts, BJ Colangelo, and I'm joined by my wife. Harmony Colangelo, a trans woman who grew up watching none of these movies. Is today's movie a queen bee? Or are we killing the teen dream? Get in, loser. We're analyzing the movies people make fun of us for loving. Twice as hard for the same motherfucking title, but I realize that I probably won't be so lucky. The next time someone tries to tell you that teen girl movies are just garbage and fluff, you can point them to baby assassins and remind them that this movie has a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. You know, if you care about that sort of thing. Right, which nobody honestly (laughs) should. I don't know, it's an an interesting test because... This is only a thing that we discovered like after we decided to do this episode and I kind of became obsessed with this fact. Because here's the thing. <laughs> the same people who are going to be like, uh, you like teen girl movies? That's not real cinema. Those are the same kind of motherfuckers that do care about Rotten Tomato scores. Yeah. So this is just, you know, twisting that knife just a little bit more. Well, I mean, I went through our entire uh, alum of movies to be like, okay, what? What all has, like, good scores? Is there anything that actually has 100% other than Baby Assassins, or is this the only one we've ever done? Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret, 8th grade, and Lady Bird all have 99%. So they're, like, extremely close. Which means there's one hater who's like, I gotta take this broad down a notch. Kinda. Uh, There's there's a couple of films that we also do that are, like, up in, like, the 90s. So, like... Honestly, some of our movies get a lot higher reviews than I thought they did because, mm-hmm. like, Jawbreaker has, like, a 12% or something like that on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, it's painfully low. It's 14, and it's so insulting, it makes me want to set buildings on fire. Exactly. And so, you know, I expect most of the movies we do to not get good scores, but, like, when they do, man, just, like, it's neat that everyone who's seen this movie just goes, yeah, no, this movie's awesome. <laughs> and it's also weird that, like, We've done uh, that our highest film on Rotten Tomatoes and our lowest is uh, they're both martial arts movies. <laughs> yeah, because it's this and it's the next Karate Kid. At a, a whopping movie, 7%. A movie that does not deserve that low of a score. And nope. I don't know if we've ever even had the Rotten Tomatoes conversation, but I think it probably is a good thing to have. I think it started coming up because of how low yeah. the next Karate Kid is. So it's important to remember that whenever we're talking about films from, honestly, prior to the last... 10, 15 years, maybe, the ratings are going to be a lot lower because the majority of people who were considered credible critics at the time 
are cishet white guys in their 40s. Or they're higher in some cases because they have had been around long enough and they've weathered the storm that now they're classics. Yes. But Rotten Tomatoes pulls from original reviews. So if somebody is reviewing a film like Jawbreaker in 1999 and they don't fully understand it and they dog on it, that review is forever and it's going to forever hurt its score. It's fine. So again, this is why Rotten Tomatoes is an imperfect system and all it does is pull averages between like, oh, this many percent of people liked it and this many percent of people didn't. It should not be used as an arbiter of taste uh, the data's imperfect and like what you like. In the case of Baby Assassins, um, it absolutely is an arbiter of taste because this movie fucking rules and I love it. That is a very good point. And I do think that this is one of those instances where Rotten Tomatoes giving it such a high score is to its benefit because this is an international film, which means there are subtitles. I'm so sorry you had to read a, a little bit of, of text but the going writing on is here. So good. But the writing is so good. Okay. So this is a martial arts movie. Let's just get that out of the way. Mm-hmm. And the last movie that I really went to bat for is sort of a martial arts movie. It was Hana. It was like way back in like January or February. And that's more of like a spy thriller. Mm-hmm. But it's got action sequences. This is a martial arts movie that really only has like two fight scenes. Mm-hmm. There's one at the start and there's one at the end. And the middle is just character work. Mm-hmm. And the writing is so fucking good. Yeah. The on-screen chemistry of everyone in the cast is unbelievably good. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't teach how good this is. Mm-hmm. I love this movie. This movie gets by on so much personality and then, like, ramps it up for select moments. Absolutely. And part of why we wanted to cover Baby Assassins is not only is it a movie that we both love, um, it's also a movie that is criminally underseen stateside. Mm-hmm. Um because this is a martial arts movie and it's an international movie and it also got a small release stateside. This was not some like It did festivals. It did festivals, but like it's not something that was playing really massively in theaters across the country or anything. So it is a movie that we want to shout out. Mm-hmm. But last month at the Fantasia Film Festival, Baby Assassins 2 played. Yeah, it did. And it played very well. And people were like, this movie rules. A lot of people went and saw that movie having not seen the original film. Baby Assassins 2, two babies. (laughs) So it is just an absolute delight. And if you have not seen Baby Assassins, which based on the responses that we got on both social media and on the Patreon when we announced the schedule ahead of time, most people have not heard of this movie, and I'm so grateful and proud of everyone who saw the schedule and went, what is this, and then tracked it down and watched it. I was I was so giddy. I was at work that day going, like, everyone's talking about how much they want to watch Baby Assassins. I'm really happy. <laughs> so here is the synopsis of Baby Assassins. Two high school girls who are about to graduate also happen to be highly skilled assassins. When the organization that employs them orders them to share a room, their relationship turns sour. Um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of correct. I, I, I don't know if I would say their relationship turns sour. I'd say they have like one fight. Right. I, I think that they're trying to pitch this as kind of like, An it's like couple. the odd couple, yeah. but they're teenagers and also assassins. Yes. So... We have two girls that we follow. They are 18. Uh, They are Mahiro and Chisato. Mm -hmm. And the way that these characters are uh, presented and designed is that one of them has the uh, enthusiasm and energy of a puppy. And the other one has the energy of like, fuck off, leave me alone. I'm a cat. Yes. 
And I think that is such an interesting way to propose an odd couple style situation because usually when we have this sort of arrangement in other movies, it tends to be men and it tends to be one that is like very straight laced and conservative and everything is very, very serious. And the other person is silly silly and slobbish. He's artistic maybe. Yeah, that's usually the the arrangement. But in this arrangement, they actually have quite a bit in common because Mm -hmm. of what they do for a living. The difference is their approach to how they do everything. Oh, yeah. Um, so it makes for some really nice visual gags. It makes for a lot of good, like, conversations because they are both operating at such different levels. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there is an inherent understanding that the two of them have. And like you said, the chemistry is unbelievable and it is so fun and so sweet. And to me, it feels like this is the random roommate assignment dorm movie that we have never really gotten before. Yeah. There's a lot of things about this movie that I feel like we've never properly gotten before. Um, Like we've gotten like young girl martial arts movies. We've gotten stuff like that. This movie to me captures more than any other movie I've seen in probably the last five years. What a current teenager is like. I agree with you completely because it's also not trying to be like, hey, look, we're a teen movie and we're Gen Z. Look at how cute and clever we are. It just kind of is. Like, there's multiple scenes, including the credit sequence, where they're just sitting on the couch and one of them is just watching cat videos and the other one's just playing Switch. And they're like, just, they're kind of like legs are on top of each other and they're just kind of like touching and cuddling a little bit. But mostly they're just like fucking off and doing their own thing within like a very close proximity. Yeah, there's a level of physical intimacy that the two of them have that feels very Gen Z because Gen Z is a lot more affectionate mm-hmm. as a generation as a whole than the prior generations. Yeah. So the two of them are on the couch and yeah, like their legs are kind of intertwined, but there's nothing romantic about it. Like no. this is not a couple. They are not people that you should be shipping together. Like no. that's not this, their this dynamic. Is just these characters and this age group existing Mm -hmm. like that's why i love like multiple scenes where they're just kind of chilling or one of them's on the couch and the other one's doing something like in the background of their tiny apartment Mm -hmm. um i think that particularly for like online young people which has been everyone obviously since the pandemic especially this captures something that i have not seen in a teen movie yet yes it's just it's so clearly and genuinely this What's so fascinating is that this is a martial arts movie. Yes, there are martial arts fight sequences and they rule, but this is also a hangout movie, but it is such a modern hangout movie. Hangout movies of yesteryear, they tended to be things where like you you would go places to do the hangout movie. You mm-hmm. would go to a restaurant or you'd go to a party. Go or to the mall. Go to the mall. Go to mall rats. Right, you do something. That's not really the case anymore because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So this is a hangout movie where they're just in their living room coexisting Mm -hmm. a lot of the time and watching how they have to figure out how to live with each other, how to coexist. Don't eat my shit in the fridge. You know, you need to be working on this. You need to find a job because we have bills to pay. Like these sorts of conversations that are really common to have when you have roommates and it's positioned that they are about to graduate high school. But to me, this movie also appeals to a lot of the younger millennials and Gen Z who are probably going to have to have roommates 
mm-hmm. well into their 30s, if not 40s, if they're not living with their parents because the market across the globe is just completely obliterated and none of us can afford our own shit anymore. I mean, it's also like a fantasy in that you get to live with like your best friend. Yeah. Like someone that you are just like so obsessed with and you just enjoy the company of so naturally. Yeah. Um, I think that that is just absolutely like the best situation and this is a wonderful display of that. But here, here's the actual premise of what's going on in this movie between the opening fight scene and the closing fight scene. Mm-hmm. And it's just comedy and situational stuff between then. Go for it. So they're graduating high school or I think it's like assassin school. And they're like 18 and they've never been adults. They've never lived on their own. It's kind of uh, leaving the structure of like an academy. Mm -hmm. So now you're out there and you have to like budget your food and you have to pay rent and you have to do whatever. Like that's a thing you have to now worry about as an adult. Eventually you'll have to fucking pay taxes and it sucks. So they have someone who is kind of like a he's he's like sort of their manager in the assassin's league he's kind of like a bosley he's he's sort of bosley he's also like acts almost like a guidance counselor Mm -hmm. where he's like giving them like life advice of like well i recommend this if this isn't working out then we can split you two up and we can take that for whatever you need to get jobs and i think them getting jobs is is twofold one um it probably is a good cover for them being assassins because it's like how do these girls actually fucking make money Mm -hmm. so it's cool they work at like a waffle place or they're going to go work at a, a combini. Mm-hmm. They're, they've got things they're going to do that make it look like they're just not like getting money ambiguously, which, right. you know, fine. But also, uh, and this is the more important part, particularly for Mahiro, who is the, uh, the, the cat in this equation. She's the blonde. She is um, very uh, bad socially in social settings. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get to that in a little bit. But having these two go out and interact with people more than just like killing them helps them not be sociopaths mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, cool. You only leave your house to go on a mission to assassinate some dude. Very quickly, you're going to lose all concept of human life and being a person. Mm-hmm. So like go out there, interact with people, do your thing. And they're really bad at doing work. Mm-hmm. They're very, very bad at it. And, um, they both they both have some anger issues. Mm-hmm. They they can they can pop off because they're getting frustrated. Um, this is also a really fun like workplace comedy mm-hmm. because it's just so many um, little problems where someone is like, "Give me the mango." It's like, well, "Where's the mango? It's right in front of you." Okay, so then uh, Chisato's like spinning around going, "Uh, um, this no in front of you." It's like, "Hum." The fridge, no, in front of you and not giving any direction the on where the lid, fucking mango is. The lid. The lid. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and it turns out like it's in the cooler below where they are. But when you say right in front of you, it's like, oh, this is not fucking helpful advice. Right. You are so bad at giving direction. And sometimes you work for people who are bad at giving direction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's them just going into these workplace situations and, and, and just trying their best. Trying their best. While the Yakuza is coming after them. Yes, because the, the villain of this is the Yakuza, because of course it would be. Right. So normally we would also talk about context of when this was released, but this movie kind of exists in a vacuum in terms of... It's only from two years ago, and I'm not yeah. even going to pretend to act like I know what's going on in Japan in 2021. Right. 
I I think that that would just be we would be really ignorant if we exactly. did that. We would just be reading Google and Wikipedia, and that's not helpful to anybody. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this was released a couple years ago. It got a pretty decent festival run. It played a lot of the big genre festivals in the states, and people were like, "This movie is awesome." But this movie has kind of been living and dying by word of mouth. Oh, uh, yeah. this side of the world. Oh yeah, I mean the reason that we watched it is because multiple people. We're telling us, like, no, you have to watch this movie. I do like that people understand our brand enough to know that, like, teen girl movie that's also a martial arts movie is 100% the intersection of stuff that we like. Well, it was specifically people telling me that I need to watch this, and then I went, BJ, we need to do this on the podcast. Yes. <laughs> we need to do this on the podcast so badly. Yes. And we did watch it together, and we're like, wait, this movie rules. And uh-huh. then we've been waiting for it to become a little bit more I was waiting accessible. for the sequel yeah. to, to get ready to come out. And I was like, okay, now's the time to do it. Yeah. So so this is where we are. Um, and now it's time for everyone's favorite part of the show. We're in the heart of summer prom party, and hopefully you all are all surviving. We're, we're doing our best over here, consistently having to record without the air on in Los Angeles. It is, it is a lot. But we got some really fun stuff over on the Patreon for you to be excited about this month. Speaking of unbearable heat and no relief from it, for our Sadie Hawkins dance, we're covering a suggestion box film from a number of people. We're doing Holes. And a, a personal favorite from my neck of the woods, Tommy Boy. So we're talking about a, a boyish man in that one. For our musical milestones, we are going to be covering 90s Eurodance and Europop as filtered through like us filthy Americans where we really just got like the cream of the crop over here. And this may or may not be inspired specifically by Barbie Girl. And we're making up for some lost time because we got... Uh, We got caught with the COVID finally in the back part of July, and you're going to get two episodes of us covering the total six episodes from the start of My So-Called Life. You're also going to get a double dose of BJ's monthly newsletter to make up for us being too sick to do it last month, as well as the one for this month. In addition to all that, you'll get my fun indie playlist as well as access to the suggestion box where you can go ahead and throw in your own suggestions, either for the Sadie Hawkins dance, the main show, or anything else. With this being August, it is officially going to be three whole years of this ends at prom, and we truly could not have done it without all of you. We even bought new microphones to celebrate, and hopefully we sound way better to to your ears. As always, if you're not able to financially support the podcast in any way, the best thing you can possibly do to support us is recommend us to a friend, rate, review, do all do all that fun stuff. Thank you all so much, and now back to the movie. So I would like to start with Mahiro, who is played by Sayori Izawa. Uh, Izawa, um, because that is the first of this duo that we meet when she is applying for a job at like a convenience store. A convenience. And it is not going well. <laughs> no. Um, she She's really bad at um, pretending to that she wants to be there. This, this is just a job. She's what, what she's supposed to be doing is getting a job at this place, infiltrating it, and then eventually assassinating the manager. Mm-hmm. 
However, she gets fed up with him because he's like speaking platitudes and like misquoting people and just being like, you know, your dreams never run away. It's you that runs away. And she's like, oh, my God, it's so pretentious. I hate you. (laughs) And like he keeps asking like, well, you know, why do you want this job? And she's very matter of fact, like I don't want to ever give Dave Chappelle credit because of what he's become. But it is the definitive skit of the. Because I'm broke. Like, that's why I need oh, yeah. this job. <laughs> it's the thing that goes around all the time on, like, social media of just being like, hi there, why would why would you like to work at Starbucks? Why do you want to work at Target? And it's like, because I want money. Because I have bills it, to it pay. It is not my dream to work at Target. <laughs> you work at Target because you would like money. Right. Um, and so that's very much how she's approaching it because she is very matter of fact. She does not deal with kind of, like, the weird social lies that we all say and all those pleasantries. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, going through the motions of like, how's it going? It's like, it's going or can't complain. Really, it's white people bullshit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that is not something that she does. And because of that, this character, we we are not professionals. We are not diagnosing people. That is not what we are doing. We are, however, going to say this character can be read this way I think there's a strong argument. I think there's a very strong argument to be made that she is on the spectrum. Oh, yeah. I would say that both of them are in very different ways. I agree. Um, There's a line that they have where um, they're having to walk for the first time to get to their new apartment. And also they're a little lost. Mm -hmm. But one of them is like, oh, well, people who walk everywhere, like they're, they're, they're mentally ill. And the other just goes. We're mentally ill. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yes. Um, so she's really bad at masking. Yes. And she does. She refuses to mask. She doesn't understand social cues at all. Mm-hmm. Um, she actually ends up drifting off. Like the whole opening action sequence is actually just a dream sequence mm-hmm. where she just fantasizes being like, what if I just. What if I just kill this what guy? What if I just kill this dude and just like cut out the bullshit and then everyone in the store just gets like really defensive of their job which like there absolutely are those people who mm-hmm. take their job way too serious like you killed our manager how dare you and then it just becomes this giant fucking fight scene where they're willing to die for their minimum wage job right there are some people who definitely take that kind of thing like people who are definitely like narcs yeah. about work where it's just like you can't take that thing home that's a, pa- a day past its expiration date you have to <laughs> throw it out otherwise it's corporate theft <laughs> I think we can just call those like Elon Musk reply guys because the Venn diagram of that is a circle. Yeah, 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 yeah. So like that's what the opening fight scene is. Um, Also, Sayori Izawa is the person who did most of, if not all of the stunt choreography for this. Mm -hmm. And she's awesome. She is so cool. She is so good. Um, I love the way that she uh, fights as a character because she, between the two, Chisato's more of like a gun person. She doesn't do hand-to-hand combat. Mm-hmm. But Mahiro does. Yes. And she is like, she, she's she's like kind of feral. Yeah, you're totally right. Because the way that she fights is very physical. It is very aggressive. It's, it's very primal in, in oh, yeah. nature and how she attacks people. She fights like an animal that is smaller than things that it wants to take down. Yes. Which is very much a, it's cat behavior. Mm-hmm. Like when a cat, a cat is not going to outweigh anything it's going to get into a fight with. No. And it's not necessarily about winning, but it's about causing damage and te- teaching you to fuck off. Yeah. A cat will slap the shit out of you because it feels like it. Yes. So the way that she fights and the way that these are uh, choreographed are super cool because you cannot 
choreographed fight scenes the same for every single person. Right. Like, she's not going to do the stunts that John Wick's going to do, because John Wick is the same size as everyone else. And also, he's Keanu, and he's basically a Navy SEAL. Mm -hmm. She is not. She is a small girl who is maybe, like, 110 pounds tops. Yeah. And the way that she goes ahead and attacks people, like, she does a lot of, like... She, like, crawls through legs. She, like, straight up, like, a headbutts a dude and throws her entire body weight into something because, mm -hmm. like, that's what you've got to do because you aren't going to out-muscle someone and you aren't going to overpower them. Mm -hmm. So she's having to do all these other things where, like, she bites and she, like, claws at people while also just punching them in the face. Yeah, she also has a tendency to throw people's center of gravity off, either yeah. by getting on top of them and making them too top-heavy or going beneath them and losing them off balance. Mm -hmm. Whatever she can. She's, like, very scrappy yes, in the way that she fights. that's the word. Scrappy is absolutely the right word. But, like, she's masterfully scrappy. She's so She's not scrappy it. in the way, like, a bar fighter is scrappy. Yeah. And what's so fascinating is that when you see her personality-wise – she is just living off vibes. She is so chill. She's very down to earth. She doesn't want to go outside. She doesn't want to deal with people. She only lets this out when it's absolutely necessary. Uh -huh. So it's really interesting to see because most of this movie, she's wearing you know oversized clothes. She's got her short choppy hair. She is coated very mask in presentation. And yet when she has to fight, she is brilliant she mm -hmm. is so smart in yeah. how she approaches it yeah so this is all a dream sequence and uh then we flash back and uh the manager is just trying to be like hey we lost you for a while and then she almost breaks his arm and he's like ow uh-huh just <laughs> reflexive of just like well this is how i normally handle this sort of situation yeah. and the guy and she just goes well do i still get the job and he's like no <laughs> <laughs> and um this is this is kind of a recurring thing for her she's very very bad at getting jobs um Chisato is not uh, capable, but she's at least enthusiastic about work. Yes. Okay. And so I, she's, she's she works. She's working at a place with waffles. Yes. She's working at a waffle bar, but she is the puppy in the situation. She is extremely hyperactive. She's very peppy. There is a completely opposite tonal shift whenever she is on screen by herself mm -hmm. because she's so peppy and she's she's not airheaded. No, she's not an airhead. She's bubbly. But She's very bubbly, and that's yes. kind of how she is, is that you get her in the work environment. She's really good at interviewing because you're like, oh, she's so sweet, and she's so fun, and she seems very eager. She that's just, what we like. She has no uh, capabilities yet to work in, like, service or retail. Exactly. She's she's not cultivated those skills. She's still young. That's a thing. Yes. Like, I, worked, I have worked in my life with so many, like, 18-year-olds who are just really excited to be there but have no confidence and no idea what they're doing. Exactly. So that's what kind of keeps happening to her is she does get work, but then once they're actually getting her on the floor to do something, they're like, oh, yeah. oh you don't know what you're doing. You yeah. are all smoke and mirrors. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, she, she has to make this waffle, and this is where this person is yelling at her about the mango, and she doesn't do a good job with the whipped cream. And it finally gets done, and she's really proud of it. And she's like, I did such a good job. Look how beautiful my waffles are. And she goes to take them out to this couple that are on, like, a date. And uh, the guy goes, oh, I actually don't like whipped cream. Here, you can have it, and scoops it up and gives it to his date. And she is so fucking furious, she fucking knocks the dude out. Yeah. <laughs> like she, she just does not have any patience. Like, how fucking dare you? I worked so hard on that. And here's the thing. If you've worked in the food service industry, 
You've probably had this fantasy before of just dropping a motherfucker who's been so disrespectful to you because they have no idea what you've been going through that day. Oh, yeah. Like this is again, this movie feels like a fantasy and the things that you want to happen, things, things you want to do at like your minimum wage job that you're just like very fed up with. So yeah, anyway, she gets fired too and they go mm-hmm. home and they have a little dinner um, and she has this little trait that I love where she like goes like when she's like running around their apartment and it's like, what is this noise? It's like, I'm imitating the sound of a puppy on hardwood floors. Right, like they even lean into the fact that they are so clearly like cat and dog by having her actually emulate puppy sounds. Yes. <laughs> And it's, it's such a very specific character trait um, that you just, like, I do a lot of onomatopoeia, like, yeah. constantly. So, like, I appreciate seeing this. <laughs> yeah. One of Harmony's uh, isms that doesn't show up on the show a lot, but it does in our real life, is uh, her old man isms, as I'll call them, which is if I am like, hey, I got to tell you something. Huh? Harmony's wrong. Huh? See, what? The, the thing is, like, that's the thing I started doing on purpose because I know it annoys you. Yeah, and now it's just part of our lives. Well, it was it's one of it's comes from one of two places, and they're both really weird places. Um, the first one is um I started doing it because I thought it'd be really funny uh after Shorzy to just like kind of do that and interrupt you. Mm-hmm. Um, because they, they also do it on Letter Kenny, where it's like you start a statement and then you just go, huh? <laughs> and you're just like so disrespectful and rude to cut someone off as soon as they start talking. Mm-hmm. Um the other one is from the uh professional wrestling YouTube show. Yeah. Hey EW. Hey. E.W. Hey, with RJ City, and uh, he interviewed murder grandpa Minoru Suzuki, who just kept going, huh? Eh? <laughs> like every time he asked anything. <laughs> it was really incredible. It was so good. And then they bonded over, what is it, wings? Yes. I'm um, they love wings. <laughs> but yeah, I just kept going like, huh? Eh? So that's where both these come from, and I do it to piss BJ off. I also say boom a lot. Mm-hmm. When like I'm bartending, I put a glass down like boom. Mm-hmm. So um, this is just a thing mm-hmm. I, I do. So, like, again, I think I as a, I have human dog energy, which is... You do. That works for me. I'm okay with this. Yes. But I would say you're not, like, Labrador Retriever dog. That's not your energy. No, I'm more of a meaty dog. Yeah. You are. Yeah. Some, 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 some with a big head and a lot of muscle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're, you're a beefy dog. Thanks. You're like those Rottweilers that you look at, and you're like, oh, that Rottweiler is really tough. And then and you get closer, like, and it's like... Hi. And that Rottweiler is like a big, dumb idiot, but is so sweet. I love them, and their eyebrows, goddammit. Um, so yeah, like that, that's, that's their situation. Uh, then we get a, like a flashback and a flash forward. Like we move a little bit out of, out of order here. But, uh, speaking of someone who doesn't understand social cues, the leader of the Yakuza, I'm, I'm unsure if he just has no sense of humor for other people's jokes or if he genuinely doesn't understand social cues and gets very mad about it. It's really hard to tell, which I think is really funny because I think there's something to be said about people who are in the Yakuza and like this is kind of their thing and they don't operate within like the same parameters of a society mm-hmm. because they're the fucking Yakuza. Yeah. Um, so it's never... You, you don't have to learn how to function like a normal person. Yeah. So it's never super clear of what where he's at mentally or socially. Um, and that draws a really interesting parallel to our leads, obviously, who have been assassins their whole life. And mm-hmm. they also don't fully exist in society. So you're getting to see two sides of that same coin. Um, I like to think that he is just so far removed that he doesn't know what's going on. And that's why he's so confused and frustrated because he assumes bad faith about everything immediately, always. He has like bad masculine urges of uh, 
he doesn't get a joke, therefore he gets mad at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like other people laugh at something and he doesn't get it, so that must mean everyone must suffer. Because yeah. how dare you have fun when I don't know what's happening. Like, are you calling me stupid for not getting this joke? Fuck you. And it's like, n- no. I will kill laughing. you. But <laughs> no, he will. He will absolutely kill you. He definitely will. I, um, I kind of love this Yakuza boss because he has kids and they are both like, fucking weirdos they're so weird. Well, i mean their dad's the head of the yakuza they're yeah. not going to be well adjusted they're, they're very unhinged <laughs> especially his daughter but i like that dad is trying to modernize yakuza crime mm-hmm. where he's like listen we can't just be doing like selling drugs and like doing shit like that we need we need to diversify your sister she's doing like a sugar baby ring Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh, it's pimping. And I'm like, it's not pimping. We are creating a much more female inclusive environment in the Yakuza and we are modernizing our methods. The daughter has like cartoon Harley Quinn energy. Oh, she is so psychotic. Yeah. Like that is very much what she's going on of like, you can't spell slaughter without laughter kind of person where uh-huh. everything she does is very violent and gruesome, but it is also very fun and oh. very fashionable. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she's she's marvelous. I think that, like, the son is sort of the straight man here who's just, like, he, he doesn't understand why dad's changing things up right now, but, like, you got to change with the times, man. He feels kind of large adult son to me. Yeah. Um, Not, like, quite as oafish as it would be in the West, but th- this is a similar archetype where... He just has large adult son energy. Like, I don't know how else to describe it. He does. But, like, he adores his dad. Like, he looks up to him so much, um, which I think is great. And they have a scene. That I'm that I'm gonna put it I'm gonna put aside. We're gonna, yeah, we're gonna. Oh, we're gonna it's I'm gonna, it's, I'm gonna, it's I'm my gonna, favorite scene of the whole movie. <laughs> I'm gonna set that scene aside because it's incredible. So there is a. It, it, so it comes out that our baby assassins. Which also, I have to like beat autofiller because I hate the fact that I have to type baby ass when I look up this baby movie. ass ass. I I'm just like I just I gotta finish writing the thing as quickly as possible because I don't want there to be any time where like baby ass is lingering in my search bar. <laughs> um, it just it feels gross. B- but anyway, it turns out that they end up assassinating a man who's like in charge of helping with like the drug side of the yakuza. So now mm-hmm. the drug guy is dead. And that sort of indirectly puts them on their radar because they know kind of what they're looking for with this. Mm -hmm. Because Chisato wears a lot of perfume to cover up the gunpowder smell whenever they just blow some dude's brains out. Hey, that's practical. That's smart. Yes. But it's Dolce & Gabbana. It's very expensive. It's very distinct. Mm -hmm. And the body smells like that. Mm -hmm. So they go, okay, somebody who wears this, this perfume is the person who's assassinating our dudes. See, this is why you got to get something really common, like a white diamonds by Elizabeth Taylor, because then everyone would have assumed that the person who killed him was a 70-year-old grandma. (laughs) (laughs) Granny Assassins. Oh, where's that movie? I'd watch Granny Assassins. I would watch Granny Assassins, too. Let's just have this fucking franchise go forever, Mm -hmm. and then eventually they're Granny Assassins. Then we get an 80 for Brady, but it's just Granny Assassins. God, like, that's the future I want to live in. I agree. So, what ends up happening is Chisato ends up getting a, a job after some some tomfoolery happens where the, the Yakuza knows who they are. She gets a job at a maid cafe. She gets a job at, like, a cat maid cafe. No, I think it's when you're training you have to wear cat ears. Okay. And then eventually you graduate to being a maid from another planet. Yes, then you get to be, like, the, the alien maid who is learning about all of the ways of the land and you must be taught by these strong, wonderful men. My master... 
by these masters. I so um Do you uh, want to explain what a maid cafe is? Because not everybody is Well, there's different brands of maid cafes. Gross and weird like we are. <laughs> I'm just aware of things. I've never been to Japan. I've just spent a, a lot of time on Tumblr and this is just information I've you acquire. Seen animes. I know what a maid cafe is, but they come in different varieties. Yes. This particular maid cafe is a very moe moe as they have a little uh, magical chant to make the the food taste better. And moe, as I understand it, I thought it meant little girl. It doesn't mean little girl. It's uh, an adjective about the, like, the preservation of innocence and purity in girls, which is its own unique thing. But um, mm-hmm. there's nothing specifically sexual about this maid cafe. It's where grown men come together and they go, oh, we're going to play pop-up pirate. And it goes, congratulations. He didn't pop out. And and then grown men go, yay. Yeah. So they get to eat cake and sugary foods and play children's games. And these, uh, it's the thing that I've seen uh, a lot in Japanese culture. And I'm not going to try to speak on this as an authority, but it's an escapism from high stress jobs Mm -hmm. for grown men Mm -hmm. where it's just go, I got to do something that is extremely simple Mm -hmm. and someone gets to be nice to me and that's it. That's all I need out of this, out of this exchange. And what's interesting is that, like you said, it's not inherently sexual either. I think people make cafes can be very, they can be this one. Isn't like there is something very innocent and very, wholesome to this to, to an extent to an extent i mean the the outfit that they're wearing looks like fetish gear but it's not necessarily fetishy it can be but it, it also depends on your perspective i think it's more directly fetishistic over here because we have so many people who fetishize um japanese maids yes um you yes. know the, the the what is it the people call them femboys which mm-hmm. back in my day you were just a fucking sissy god damn it <laughs> <laughs> now you want to drizh it up and call it a femboy and get a billion dollars <laughs> and like you know like you said like they just get it's an escape from a high stress job it's sort of like public little space almost like yeah, that's mean, the best way I could that's, describe that's it. That's absolutely a thing I think for, for yeah, this situation. That's what's kind of going on here. And again, like most people assume that like going into like little space or age regression of any form is inherently sexual. Not always the case. Um, a lot of people use it for therapeutic means. And so if you're like a high powered Japanese businessman and you're really stressed out and it helps you from like going crazy to go to one of these cafes and have somebody be very excited to help you pour milk, mm-hmm. then like, fuck it. Who cares? It's, do what you got to do. I mean, it's it seems like, you know, it, 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 I don't know. I'm not going to compare apples and grapes, but it's like how men in America like, I just want to go to a strip club or uh, hire an escort just because I want a woman to smile at me and say my name. Right. That's all I need. Yeah. So it's like. You know, we're all looking for our own. We're all chasing our own white whales. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Chisato gets this job. She's very good at it because she has a very like excited personality. Mm-hmm. So she blends in very, very well here. Um, I do will say that one of her coworkers, they have a whole conversation about um, how she absentmindedly just buys the most expensive stuff at the convenience store. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, this woman's like, I can't afford any of this. I got, I'm paying my way through college and I got to worry about rent. I have to buy like really cheap things. And she <laughs> and just thought it was just like, I don't know. I didn't even think about it. I just grabbed things that looked good. <laughs> so it's like, yes, you are very young and have not learned how to budget. Also, mm-hmm. you probably make a lot more money than they do. Yeah, I so feel like uh, the, the money that you make at a maid cafe is 
exponentially less than the money you make for being a contract killer. Yeah, like they 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 gun a dude down earlier who's just like clearly being a pervert and they shoot him and then stuff him in a garbage can and like that's cool. Big thumbs up on that one. Mhm. That's what that's what you get. Yes. So because Maharo didn't get hired at her part-time job that was supposed to be part of a hit and I think there's a part where she's like xing out big ads in the uh newspaper. Mm-hmm. Just like jobs that she's gone to and just are the interviews are falling through or whatever. Mhm. She needs a job because, like, that's another thing. This guy's just like, you got to get a job. You have to get a job. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the movie, she's like, I might be a sociopath. And I'm like, I think you just have some undiagnosed stuff. And (laughs) you work at a job that really, really encourages you to do dumb things. Mm -hmm. Um, She she tags along, goes, "Can can I get hired where you work? And because she has, like, fuck off energy of a cat, she does not get along well there. She no. she cannot put on the voice. She cannot put on the act. She's not going to placate some random person coming in for money. Like, that's not happening. Nope. <laughs> she just kind of stands in the corner and is like, okay, um, I'm going to leave now. <laughs> like, n- no, no enthusiasm. And this is kind of where they have their their first fight because it's it, it's stemmed in a lot of self-doubt, I think, where mm-hmm. it's like, I can't be like you. There's something wrong with my brain and I can't put on this this front like you can. And what I like a lot too is that I think in a lesser movie or honestly probably an American made movie, there would be some moralizing to this. Well, especially from like the more uh, tomboyish character just being like, right. I can't even pretend to be girly like you because I'm just not like other girls. Yeah, like the, in a lesser movie, that's what would be the main conflict, but that's not what it is here. Like here, it's a lot more like, this is great for you. This is just not a thing that I can do. Yeah, these two are broken in very different ways. Yes. Um, we, we, we all have broken brains in our own ways and we learn how to cope with them. Exactly. Eventually. Eventually. But when you're young, time. you haven't developed that, much less out in the walking world outside of the structure of like somewhere with a meal plan. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so I really like that they have this conflict because the conflict is not about like, oh, I think what you're doing is demeaning. It's not what it is. The conflict instead is like, I can't function in society the way that you can. Mm-hmm. And the way that you are broken is more beneficial to the capitalist system than my way of being broken. Mm-hmm. And I love that acknowledgement because, you know, I am a neurodivergent person. I have a, a plethora of mental illnesses as well as fucking brain damage. I've got a I've got a lot of shit going on mm-hmm. in that there noggin. But because of nature, nurture, having resources at an age when most people don't have them, all of these things. I'm able to kind of get by and I can have a job and I can do these things and I can quote unquote contribute to society. And I recognize that like that is a privilege that I have. A lot of people who have the same sort of cocktail of nonsense in their brains might not be able to do that. And that doesn't mean I'm better than them and it doesn't mean that they are worse than me. It just means that we navigate the world differently and it's okay to be frustrated that we have to navigate the world differently because the world is not set up to affirm everyone equally or equitably. Oh, yeah. In in a very idealized world, it would be very accommodating to someone who is on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. But we don't live in an idealized world. We don't. And there needs to, unfortunately, be just some coping to get by. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I know that, like, this is very much, like, text that somehow... At least one, if not both, these characters 
has something going on in in their noggin meats. Mm-hmm. Some some I undiagnosed something something. Mm-hmm. Wow. So um, if there's an awkward break here, it's because there's suddenly been jackhammering outside our house mm-hmm. for like the last hour, and I've lost my entire train of thought. But we're gonna we're gonna pick this back up, and hopefully they will also not pick it back up. Yeah, I hope that they stop doing this because. It's loud and it's early and I don't, I don't, I don't have time for this. Yes. <laughs> so um, so navigating through the world with brain stuff and it's different. BJ, go. Okay. So the thing that I like most about Baby Assassins and the way that it portrays both of these characters is that by not diagnosing them within the text, like without canonically saying this is what they have, it allows a lot more headcanoning to happen. Like, I think about shows like The Big Bang Theory or The Good Doctor or, you know, any of those types of shows where it's like, this character has autism. And then what that means is that people watching these shows who don't have any experience or any knowledge of autism or any other form of neurodivergency just assume, oh, I know what this looks like now because I watched The Good Doctor. I've seen Rain Man. I've seen Rain Man. Like, yeah, any of these sorts of things. So then people then have this idea of like, oh, this is what this looks like. This is how people behave. Now I know how to do that. Forgetting that it is a spectrum. Mm -hmm. And so what we have with baby assassins is these two characters who are on different planes of a spectrum and how they're behaviors exist, how they cope, how they mask, how they don't mask. All of these these things are really, really different. And so then that way, people who do have neurodivergencies can see themselves in these characters. But at the same time, people who don't have neurodivergencies can see themselves in these characters. And like, there's that that Roger Ebert quote that I love of like movies being empathy machines, right? Mm-hmm. And so now what we have is like, you can be somebody who's not neurodivergent and see them like wanting to watch cat videos and eat cake in the refrigerator and not go to work. Cake and be <laughs> The cake cam, yeah. And just be like, oh, I know what that feels like. And now you have a little bit of empathy for someone because you can relate to them even though you don't have the exact same lived experience. Oh, well, yeah. I, I think that if you get the, the hyper specifics are what make this so charming and relatable. Like, all I want to do is just sit on the floor and eat like a hot pot off of my coffee table with somebody. Mm-hmm. Like, that sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to like, you know, the how in quotes of someone is, mm-hmm. the more specific you get, I think the more it gets dodgy, mm-hmm. it becomes harder to relate to because like you, you see those things that go around like social media where it's like, oh my God, do you hate talking on the phone or are you just neurotypical? Right, which like not liking talking on the phone is not a neurodivergent specific trait. No. Some people are just introverted. I mean, (laughs) honestly, like I think talking on the phone is dumb. I don't don't like doing it, especially because most phone calls are like four times longer than they need to. Mm -hmm. And we are a podcast that generally gets in and out in under 90 minutes. So Mm -hmm. like brevity is something I value. (laughs) Uh, But like I think that... When that becomes like the 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 dominant trend of anything, especially for like younger people, especially people who are very online, mm-hmm. um, it's a way of like finding identity, mm-hmm. finding community, finding out that you're not alone in something. Mm-hmm. But it cannot just be like the dominant experience and even be believed as the dominant experience. But stuff like that 
makes it seem so. Yeah. Especially when it's like, wow, this has been liked by 60,000 people. Apparently I'm the weirdo. Or like me who also hates talking on the phone and I probably have ADHD. Don't say I do. I, I didn't say I haven't been diagnosed anything. yet. And I don't want to go ahead and make assumptions. I'm not saying anything. I'm just thinking it really loud. I know. Well, I, I refuse to go ahead and just claim stolen valor without a diagnosis. <laughs> so how, how about that? Um, but like, I hate talking on the phone, particularly people who are like younger, I'd say our generation and down, we're not used to talking on the phone. We just send texts, we send messages, like Mm -hmm. there's a million other ways to converse with somebody and get information across like lickety split. Mm -hmm. So I think that this being more of like a, an unspecified general concept Mm -hmm. opens these characters up to, uh a lot more interpretations and a lot more reads. And I think that it is ultimately significantly better. Cause like, if you want this to be a movie where like, Oh, Hey, um, there's an autistic character with like massive gung fu skills and can absolutely kick the shit out of people. And like, that's the hero. That's cool. Though. Now that I say that I'm like, I'm not positive. This movie has heroes. It's just people going to work. Right. This movie is about people going to work and some of their work happens to be assassinating bad guys. Yeah. It's like, would you call, uh, you know, Dante the hero of clerks? It's like, no, he's just going to work. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but like the main character of, of a story like this. Absolutely. And I mean, going with this like line of thinking, I kind of love the idea of somebody who is on the spectrum whose special interest is gun fu. That person must exist. Like, I'm sure they don't get to practice, which is probably a huge bummer for Goddamn them. shame. But, like, I'm sure that's somebody's special interest, and I think that that's really cool. But I like what you said about how, you know, it opens these characters up to interpretation because... I am a big fan of headcanoning. I think that there's a lot of power in headcanoning. It's also historically important because so many people were not represented on screen for a very long period of time and still continue to not be represented on screen. I wouldn't say it's been till the 2010s that we have actively tried to make stuff canon. Exactly. So headcanoning is a vital part of the way people navigate entertainment and the relationship that they have with the media they consume across, you know, all mediums. We are trying to talk about baby assassins. How dare you? (laughs) But the only real issue that I have is the, when these sort of like shorthand signifiers of like, you know, if, if you can't sit right on a chair, that means you're bisexual. Or as I sit cross-legged in a chair right now. Right. Like the, like these sorts of things, which are like cute and funny and yes, do represent a lot of people when they start to feel like they are mandatory. Mm -hmm. That's when I start having issues. And we've been kind of seeing that unfortunately in the last couple of years where you'll get like the, you know, gay girl starter pack or the trans girl starter pack or whatever. And it then starts to make people feel othered because well, I didn't grow up watching this thing or I did not grow up having this experience. Therefore, I guess I'm not queer enough. I'm not trans enough. I'm not neurodivergent enough. I'm not whatever enough. And then that can be really problematic to me. Um, It's it's so strongly an online thing because like ever since leaving the pandemic and just kind of being out and existing and trying to minimize the amount of time I spend around people who try to treat the walking world as online, it doesn't come up. Yeah, It hardly is ever a thing, and it's nice. Yeah, it doesn't come up, and even if it does, 
I mean, I've had conversations with people where, you know, I've been at Vidiots and in, in the video store and see a movie that I really liked as a kid and somebody's like, oh my God, I love this movie or this movie was really important to me or, oh, th this character, that was, you know, vital for my awakening or whatever. Instead of being like, oh, your awakening wasn't this character from this anime that was on TV in the 90s, uh, therefore you're not millennial lesbian. That doesn't fucking exist. People are like, oh, you were really into Mrs. Bighead from Rocco? That's an interesting choice I've never heard. Please explain more. You know, I haven't heard that either. <laughs> I just pulled that out of my ass. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but like, these are the kind of conversations that happen in real life where instead of being like, oh, you don't fit into this online TikTok viral category, therefore you're invalid. It's just like, wait, that's interesting. Tell me more. BJ, are you saying that the internet is a negative place? I've never said it was a positive one. <laughs> there are good things about the internet. Obviously, we have been able to do this because of the internet, which I think is a net positive. You can use tools for anything. Exactly. You can use tools for good, and you can use tools for bad. You, you can, can use guns for good, or you can <laughs> use guns to kill bad guys. Harmony, are you trying to say the only way to stop a bad guy with a gun is to have a, be a good guy with a gun? No, I'm saying... <laughs> That the final scene of this movie kicks ass. It does. It does kick ass. Like, they, they, they got to go around their house. They got to figure out where they left their guns. They got to go storm the Yakuza stronghold, which is like some abandoned house that mm -hmm. I don't imagine they live in. But it's like, well, this is just what the budget allows. And it's kind of all right. They couldn't afford the John Woo factory to make sparks, unfortunately. No, 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 no. They couldn't, which was, you know, just the fucking coolest. But like, OK, but speaking of that, like this movie has really great gun fu. It does. It is fantastic like, gun fu. The climactic fight where it's like you have the one guy, the one henchman mm -hmm. who's really good mm -hmm. and like really tough. And it's like, oh, yeah, you don't stand a chance against him. Mm -hmm. But like there's some really sweet like close combat gun kata going on in here. Mm -hmm. And it is so sweet. Like they're fighting for the gun. They're scratching. They're clawing. That's the moment where she literally hurls herself. Like you ever see a cat that just like body someone where they throw their whole fucking weight into something mm -hmm. like that's that where they take out a dog that's like attacking a toddler and they go like, bam, mm -hmm. she does that. Just like head butts this man and obliterates him. Yeah, it's pretty great. Like it's so fucking cool. Like the, I, like I don't want to spend too much time just talking about the action sequences because like there's only so much you can say about them without actually just sitting down and going, okay, but look at it though. It's so cool. Right. <laughs> I think that it's cool to talk about the action a little bit and just, I mean, gush about it because we are in a post John Wick world where this sort of styling is becoming more obvious to people. Oh, yeah. It's not quite as niche as it once was. Oh, yeah. I mean, John Wick, strong contender for one of the best franchises ever. Oh, absolutely. Like, there's not a bad John Wick movie. There's no such thing as a bad John Wick movie. The new TV series, The Continental, looks really awesome, with the exception that fucking Mel Gibson is here. Yeah. Who made that call? Fire them. Yeah. Um, but, like... But, yeah. I really love the influence of... Uh, like, th this is obviously not the same thing, because this is not an American-made film, but I love the influence that we're seeing of how we choreograph fight scenes in the States now because of John Wick. Mm -hmm. um, and to like a smaller degree, like there's a, a growing popularity of uh, martial arts movies in general, like retro retroactive appreciation because of stuff like Cobra Kai, mm -hmm. which I really, really stoked about mm -hmm. because like, I just, I cannot take the two kinds of action choreographed shit that we get, which is like, it's filmed like with someone who cannot throw a goddamn punch like Liam Neeson and Taken, mm -hmm. or it's clearly a million cuts and shaky cam, and it's like a buff dude who's sort of doing stuff sometimes, but like most of it's a fucking 
stunt double, like, you know, Captain America or something like that. Like, I just can't take more of that action stuff. Yeah, where it's we just... so where unexciting. It's, because it stops being fight choreography and then becomes editing, which... That's not to shame any of the editors. Like it's, it's impressive work to do. It's a different style of thing, but exactly. I don't care about the fight. The cool part is that I'm you're watching Captain America fight something, not because you're watching Chris Evans fight something. Right. Like this one, because Sayori Izawa is actually like a fighter and does stunts and did the choreo to this. Like she's actually throwing herself into the way that you wouldn't be able to replicate with a stunt double because mm-hmm. she's very small. Mm-hmm. Some some woman would have to be like the same size and body type and be doing this as well. And either way, that's really cool. Like yeah. may- maybe I'm also just biased because I'm like I just I'm so into young women just doing cool shit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a film franchise I have fallen in love with very recently called the Stray Cat Rock series, mm-hmm. where um, it's just a gang of delinquent girls who like fight the Yakuza and ride motorcycles and listen to rock and roll music. And they murder rapists. They my do. My favorite. Oh my God. Miko Kaji fucking firebombs a room full of rapists in the third movie. And it's awesome. Miko Kaji is also Lady Snowblood. For those that don't know, Lady Snowblood was a massive influence on Quentin Tarantino's Kill Bill. And that has been Film Bro Corner with BJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I just, the, the, I don't know. There's something about watching like a buff dude, you know, a buff American white dude just beat up a guy and be, he's be buff and cool. I'm like, yeah, I'm not interested in that anymore. I've seen that. I'm bored of that. I want to watch teen girls do rad shit together. Mm-hmm. And like, that's what this is doing. Mm-hmm. And like, there's no way to just be like, what if we masculine it up? Like, this is no disrespect to uh, writing wrongs with Cynthia Rothrock because mm-hmm. that movie fucking kicks ass. But Unfortunately, Cynthia did not do a lot of like the flying stunts and the leaps in that one. It's just some dude in a bad wig. Mm-hmm. You can't do that with this. Yeah. There aren't men that that are this size that could do this. It so makes... I'm just watching cool women do cool things and there's no way around it. There's no way to hide it. There's no way to bamboozle you. It makes me think about, uh, because it's having its 20-year anniversary this year, but in Freaky Friday, which is the second film we ever did on this podcast, because occasionally somebody would be like, what are you doing Freaky Friday? And it's like, we did that three years ago. We did it um, forever ago. But towards the end of the movie, when the earthquake happens uh, and the woman body checks the little brother, um, the the stunt double for that little boy is a full ass adult Mm -hmm. and it is visible that they are switching out a child for an adult, which is what would have happened with this movie because they're so small. Yeah. Like that's a charming thing to see. Cause it's like, haha, it's funny. Look at uh, John Travolta's stunt double in phase off. That man is not nearly as doughy as Travolta. Right. Like Travolta's got, Travolta's not like a fat dude. Like at least not at the time. Like, but he's, he's got a little bit of a bigger body. He's got a little pudge. He's built like Colt Cabana. Yeah. Got a big torso. Yeah. But like that man, that man is like some random dude who is fit and felt and absolutely not hanging off that boat. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I don't know. I just think it's really great to see the person that you are. It's really it's, it's something in your brain of, that is really satisfying that we don't get as much in America because we don't really have like. We 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 have a weird relationship with action movies here. We also don't have an appreciation for stunt performers the way that no. we should. They still don't have an Oscar, which is criminal. I agree. So it's just really nice to see the person that I've been following for the past ninety minutes of this movie, who I'm invested in, do the things that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Not some guy named Chet Rockwell. I don't Jet know. Rockwell. That sounds like a stuntman name, right? <laughs> that is like Cynthia Rothrock's like drag king version. Yeah, <laughs> Chet, Chet Rockwell sounds like some dude who's just like some Rick Dalton ass fucking name for just right. Like, I've done stunts for forty years. I've broken all my bones. I mean, that'd be Cliff Booth. He was the stunt person for Rick. Dalton. I know. <laughs> 
I know. I'm just saying, like, there is something I think subconscious in your brain that we don't have as much in this country with our action sequences, where it is so much more satisfying to get to see your character, their face mixed in the action, mm-hmm. long shots, choreographed, like pristine violence. Even if you accept that, like, because I think we're used to it mm-hmm. here. Even if you accept, like, oh, I mean, yeah, they're going to cut. They're going to be some other dude doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and then they'll come back, and then it'll be whoever's face. I think that it's just it, – there's something in your brain that makes it feel – at least for me, it just is so much cooler. Well, I think what it is, too, is a lot of people who watch you know, American-made action films, if they do not expand their repertoire into internationally made action films – it's harder for them to know what we know, if that makes sense. Because oh, yeah. it's, it's you know, going back to the comment I made about Lady Snowblood, once you've seen Lady Snowblood, Kill Bill does not hit nearly as hard once as it did. Once you've seen all of the movies that Tarantino did to make Kill Bill 1 and 2. Yes. And she goes, I've seen all these films now. So going back to Kill Bill is like, really weird because it makes all mm-hmm. of it hit it makes all of it worse yeah it makes it worse because I'm like i've seen this because one you're like oh well i see what you're homaging to that's kind of cool but you're nowhere near at the level that the rest of these movies no, are because uma thurman's not doing the fucking stunts the way that someone else would be doing the stunts right and like, that's not no shade to her by no. any stretch of the imagination honestly i think kill bill is fine it's a fine entry-level film if you have no intentions of going further into this genre mm-hmm. however but once you do once you've seen Thriller, A Cruel Picture, and you've seen her with her eye patch, Daryl Hannah doesn't hit as hard anymore. No. Once you've seen Lady Snowblood, Lucy Liu doesn't hit as hard. And that's not to, again, not to discount anything that they do in those no, it's movies. Cool. It's cool. There's some cool stuff there. But it's just not the same. Like, yeah. American-made action films are not the same. And so when you watch a movie like Baby Assassins, it does feel so much more heightened because you can actually see the fight scenes. They're not being hidden in cuts. They're not being hidden by showing something in the back. That's also why movies like The Raid and The Raid 2 are so unbelievable because they just put a a massive fight scene in a wide shot and don't cut away from it. I mean, that's why movies like Mad Max Fury Road are cool because it's all practical and it's actually people just throwing themselves at like spikes and fire and dirt. Yeah, it's so cool. And again, why is there no stunts, Oscar? What the actual fresh fuck? Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's such a vital part of our industry. And just, I guess we're just not going to give him credit? Okay. I, I okay. also think that we, as um, fans of pro wrestling, have a certain appreciation for watching people do um, ridiculous violent stunts. They're putting their bodies on the line, damn it. They are. So with all of that said, and us getting onto some soapboxes about various different things, let's talk about the best scene in this movie. Let's talk about this fucking scene in the maid cafe. Oh, my God. So <laughs> Yakuza dad is taking his son out, out on the town. And he's just like, oh, we're going to, you know, we're going to go see some strippers, get some get some ladies, whatever. And the dad's like, oh, yes, a maid cafe. This is a woman inclusive business. This is the this is the kind of venture we should be going into. Look how expensive it is. We could be making that money. Mm-hmm. And um. It's one of those things where you go to, like, a novelty restaurant and they make you order, like, the fucking, the the, the name of the food, but it's got a silly goddamn name. It's like some Ziggy Piggy ass shit. Oh, or or like, what is it, Rainforest Cafe, where it's like, I'd like Iggy's Piggy Wiggly Sandwich or some shit like that. And Safari Fries. Yeah, you have to order it as it's written on the menu because you're at a gimmick restaurant and that's what Mm -hmm. they request. So 
these grown men are like, oh, I want to, you know, I want an iced coffee and I want uh, an omelet. And the person's like, no, actually, can you please master read it exactly as it's written? He's like, oh, please, can I have the icky, grossy, not for kids iced coffee <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. And it's just these grown men being like, oh, uh, uh. and like. They're kind. <laughs> they're not comfortable with how infantilized they're being. They're not comfortable. But then the dad's like, "I'm gonna order my omelet," and the son's just like, "No, dad, no, you don't have to do this." <laughs> <laughs> and they're just like, they do their little magical chant to make the iced coffee taste better. <laughs> um, so but- you're just watching a yakuza boss like doing like cat paws and being like, "Okay," and it is just a delight. It is goddamn gold and like they're kind of okay with it like they're willing to go along with it for a little bit and like they're kind of having fun they're like oh no we could absolutely open some of these make some money like this is i i I can see why this is enjoyable and then they tell it like they they try to tell a joke the yakuza boss is like hey can you write like yakuza or something on the Mm -hmm. omelet and ketchup and she does not do a good job and she's like sorry master it's just a hard word in kanji and he's like are you making fun of the yakuza and she's like no (laughs) And then it gets very violent and, then, and people die. And then it like flips the script immediately and he's like, it's got, it's going to get really dark. Yeah. And uh, fortunately, Chisato is working that day and isn't having any of this and just fucking like guns both these men down thinking like, oh, they're going to be the final boss. No, it's the psychotic daughter who ends up being the real final boss. Mm-hmm. But she has to call up the cleaning service that they use. But this was for personal use. So it costs way more money. And like there's taxes and all this other stuff. And you have one of those, like, really awful interactions with your coworker you don't want to have where it's like, come on. Like, I know ideally if you have the option because, like, we're not mad. We're not miracle workers. Please don't shoot them in the head because, like, brains go everywhere. Like, aim for the heart. That's, like, contained. It's going to be way easier for us. And she's like, yeah, it's fucking God. Yes, I know. Like, really impatient with this dude who's just like, please just help me make my job easier. And she's just, it's the satisfaction, I think, of just being like, well, I mean, they go down if you shoot them in the head. And also, it's probably more fun. Fuck it. (laughs) Yeah, and it's nice to see that, like, no matter what industry you work in, we all have these little quirks. In this case, it's don't shoot them in the head because brain gets everywhere. Shoot them in the heart. It's more contained. And how is that any different than, say, going, when you bring them out the ranch dressing, make sure you ask them if they want it ahead of time so you don't have to run in the back of the room after you've already delivered it to then get ranch dressing because it slows down the flow of the kitchen. Like, it's the same conversation, just very much more extreme. I would like ranch dressing for my pizza because I'm just so Los Angeles. It's like, motherfucker, that is a Midwest that thing to the Midwest. bones. That is that like that's probably an everywhere thing, but like there's literally I literally have a gimmick book that's called Ranch Dressing and 99 other things that Midwesterners like. Mm-hmm. And that includes like furnished basements and meth. <laughs> <laughs> that book does rule though. It's it's, it's the, a it's a great gag book. It's so fucking <laughs> stupid, but like, yeah, I don't know. It's I just think that this movie is really fun and it's really endearing and hopefully we're doing a good job of selling people to check this thing out because like I think it's just a movie that you need to experience. I think so too and if there's one thing that I've learned since doing this show are episodes that perform the worst tend to be international releases and atypical teen girl stories. And this is both. Mm. Um, But I'm hoping that between the 100% in Rotten Tomatoes and us just being very eager for the last hour, that hopefully people will either rent it or 
you know, do do a test run on the Haya streaming service and check it out. I love Haya. It's great. Um, but I'm hoping that it inspires people to, at minimum, watch it. Even mm -hmm. if it ends up not being your thing, you tried something. Mm -hmm. Well, Harmony, I already know the answer, but for formality's sake, Baby Assassins is asking you to the prom. Yes, no, maybe, buying a ticket. I know it's a yes, but I'm giving you the prompt. It's a 100% yes. A 100% on Rotten Tomatoes yes? Yes. <laughs> like, what a what a great way to spend, like, 95 minutes. Mm -hmm. Like, a crisp runtime. I, I just, this is the kind of movies that make me excited. One, because it's, like, girls doing cool, badass things, but also, like, can still be femme, which I also appreciate. Mm -hmm. um, it's two characters that, like, if you're familiar with a lot of Japanese media or anime, like, these are characters who could be the, like, solo lead in something, but we're so much better off for them being squished together. Definitely. That's amazing. Um, it's like a lower budget film that does not look low budget. Mm -hmm. And also I did clearly did well enough that they're like, let's make a sequel. Mm -hmm. And I think now that like they've got like hype and probably more money, the sequel's gonna be so much fun. All I know is that in the trailer there was a scene where they were dressed like mascots and fighting, and one of my favorite accounts to follow on TikTok are just Japanese mascots that fight in the middle of town squares. Yeah. And that shit is hilarious to I'm me. I'm so into that. Also, I really <laughs> like the Mondo mascots account on Twitter, and I hope they make a jump to other social media sites because they just share, like, really, really random Japanese mascots. Mm -hmm. Make me very happy. Uh, yeah, no, this is just a movie that makes me hype. Like, it's mm -hmm. everything I love about films rolled up into, like, a pristine package. Yeah. Um, and I think there's also a lot of deep things that can be said about it, and hopefully a lot of things that can be unpacked and people will assume good faith of us i hope so too um yeah that, that that's my feelings on baby assassins beautiful i'm really stoked for the second one that will hopefully <laughs> come to streaming like within the next you know hopefully by the end of the year mm -hmm. hopefully haya will get it yeah that'll that'll be like a nice little christmas gift for you mm -hmm. <laughs> all righty friends thank you so much for listening as always you can follow the show on twitter and instagram at this ends at prom you can follow me on twitter instagram tiktok blue sky at bj colangelo and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Veloci underscore trap underscore tour, and Blue Sky at Harmony Colangelo. And as always, thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. Harmony, what band do you want people to check out this week inspired by Baby Assassins? So speaking of the Sonderbombs, uh, this is a band that we actually heard for the first time when we went and saw them like a month ago. And uh, they were the opener. They're called Cowboy Boy. They rule. I think Cowboy Boy is so great. Like, we needed something with, like, a, a sort of jaded, disaffected flair, but also a good sense of, like, pop and fun. Mm -hmm. And, like, I think this is a great package for that. Like, yeah, we immediately bought the record at the merch table. <laughs> Duh. Yeah, it was one of those things where they had played, like, two songs, and I just looked at Harmony, and I was like, wait, I really love this band. <laughs> yeah, I think we, we were there with, like, four people, and we were all just kind of like, no, but like this is one of the best openers I've ever seen. Yeah, they're great. Like, they're so good. I love them. Um, VJ, I know that you have actually particularly fallen in love with this band, uh, especially the singer who sits really, really well right in your voice. Oh, it is. Would you like to gush? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. So obviously, uh, the band was really awesome. If they're going to open for the Sonder Bombs, then you're going to have to be good because the Sonder Bombs are the bomb.com. Um, but yes, Cowboy Boy describes himself as pink, glittery power pop, which I quite like. Um, Some the, loud, heavy guitars. 
oh, with loud, heavy guitars. Uh, the album that we ended up buying is called Good Girl. Um, there's so many wonderful songs and you know you're good if you have a song on your album called Gemini Slander and I don't want to kick you in the teeth mm. because in case you have forgotten Harmony and I are both Geminis and I'm really sick of queer people telling us that we're terrible for it mm. fucking grow up um, but hey, that's going to isolate people far more than our conversation about autism <laughs> <laughs> this is very true but no for real though like please stop it's very very annoying um, but no Cowboy Boy is fantastic um, the voice Vocals make me very happy because uh, the lead singer has an incredible mixed belt and I am a sucker for anybody with a good mixed belt, but the lyrics are really catchy. The music is really catchy. Um, it very much feels like if MySpace were still around, um, the lyrics to Cowboy Boy songs would be glittery gifts that we all had on our profiles. Like that's the kind of music we're, we're channeling here. So good. Big fan. Really like them a lot. And also like no disrespect to the album. They're way better live. Yeah, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's, uh, again, like, that's not to disrupt the album. The album is still really great. Yeah. But, like, you're going to hear the album and be like, wow, this is really good. And then you're going to hear them live and go, wow, this is great. Yeah, no, if you're in the uh, if you're in the Southern California area, then, like, they're around. They're local here. Like, go fucking see them. Yeah, yeah. They're awesome. We might be there because yeah. I like them a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's Cowboy Boy. Definitely check them out. And I do think, yeah, this is a, this is a good band for this movie. Mm -hmm. a, lot of, a lot of similar energy here of, like, very fun, very, like, you know, poppy and glittery, but at the same time can kick you in the teeth. All righty, and that takes us out. As always, save that last dance for us. Okay, bye. Bye. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.